just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. I was asked today whether chorionic villi sampling was an obsolete procedure. So after answering the question, I thought, of course, that's a great podcast topic. So today we're going to cover prenatal diagnostic tests, not screening tests, but diagnostic tests, specifically chorionic villi sampling and amniocentesis. And we'll also talk about the difference between microarray analysis and conventional karyotype. Advances in first trimester aneuploidy screening have increased the need for early prenatal diagnosis, and CVS is the only diagnostic test that's currently available in the first trimester. However, CVS is not widely utilized, partially because of its limited availability and partly because the perception that CVS confers increased risks compared to amnio. But does it? Well, let's take a look at that in this podcast. Chorionic villi sample is a procedure in which a small amount of placental tissue or chorionic villi is obtained. This can be done either transcervically or transabdominally, and it's always done under ultrasound guidance. It's typically performed between 10 weeks and 13 weeks of gestation. Amniocentesis, however, refers to the removal of amniotic fluid by placing the needle into the amniotic cavity under ultrasound guidance. Typically, for genetic diagnosis, it's done between 15 to 18 weeks. Now, here's a side note. We used to draw out a small amount of amniotic fluid late in pregnancy as a test for fetal lung maturity in patients who had poor criteria. We would send off the fluid for lecithin and sphingomyelin ratio or the LS ratio or phosphatidylglycerol. However, ACOG no longer recommends doing an amniocentesis for fetal lung maturity because now there's other guidelines in place, and we've covered that in a pre- Previous podcast. So for now, the main reason for amniocentesis is for prenatal diagnostic testing. All right, let's get into complications, which are what people are worried about with either of these two procedures. Fetal loss rates following CVS and amnio are often difficult to estimate as large populations have not been followed from early pregnancy to provide accurate background loss rates during pregnancy. The majority of data are from studies comparing loss rates in patients undergoing CVS with those undergoing amniocentesis. The total pregnancy loss rate is not necessarily higher following CVS than amnio, and this is because CVS is performed at an earlier gestational age when the risk of spontaneous loss is already higher. A Cochrane review found that the total pregnancy loss rate following transabdominal CVS was equivalent to that of second trimester amnio, whereas transcervical CVS was associated with a slightly higher risk of miscarriage. So that's a clinical pearl. The most recent systematic review demonstrated pregnancy loss rates for CVS versus amnio to be about 0.7%, again, that's with CVS, versus 0.6% within two weeks post-procedure. So that's not a big statistically significant difference. Several non-randomized observational studies suggest that loss rates from either transabdominal CVS or amniocentesis are somewhat similar to those in women not undergoing invasive procedures. Specifically for amnio, more recent literature, although not perfect, suggests that loss rates appear no higher than about 1 in 300 to 1 in 500, with some estimates placing it at one in a thousand inexperienced senders. 
Okay, when we come back, let's talk about other concerns like limb reduction defect or leakage of amniotic fluid, and then we'll wrap it up with our brief discussion on microarray analysis compared to conventional karyotype. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Limb reduction defects. That just sounds awful, doesn't it? Ugh. A limb reduction defects after CVS used to be a big concern, but current evidence suggests that performing CVS between 10 and 13 weeks does not increase the risk of limb reduction defects. And of course, that's with experienced hands. Now, what about amniotic leakage with amniocentesis? Well, leakage of amniotic fluid after amniocentesis can occur, but thankfully it's at a very low rate. 1.7% of pregnancies may experience an amniotic fluid leak after amnio compared with 0.4% controls. Although other practitioners quote even lower figures like rates of less than 1%. The fluid leakage usually stops within one week, with normalization of amniotic fluid volume within three weeks. Perinatal survival has been reported to be greater than 90 to 94% in those cases. So amniotic fluid leakage after amnio can happen. It is a real issue. But thankfully, the rates are low, and even if there is a high leak, this fluid tends to stop and the amniotic sac tends to reheal with no change or no problem with neonatal outcome. All right, that brings us to microarray analysis versus conventional karyotype. The following information comes from the bulletin from the SMFM and ACOG, and it's important to know the difference between these two tests, especially when we're ordering a diagnostic genetic prenatal test. Chromosomal microarray analysis is a technique that identifies chromosomal abnormalities, including submicroscopic abnormalities that are too small to be detected by conventional karyotype. It can be offered only with chorionic villi sampling or amniocentesis, so it fits perfectly with our podcast. It is most beneficial when ultrasonographic examination identifies fetal structural abnormalities, and we'll cover that in just a moment. Okay, here's our rapid fire back and forth about who qualifies for this and some detailed information on what to tell patients. First, in patients with a fetus with one or more major structural abnormalities that's found on SONO who are undergoing invasive prenatal diagnosis, remember that's either amnio or CBS, chromosomal microarray analysis is recommended over conventional karyotype because you can find more defects using microarray. 
Next, chromosomal microarray analysis cannot detect balanced inversions, balanced translocations, or all causes of tissue mosaism. So that's an important limitation that patients should be made aware of. Next, not all microarrays can detect triploidy, although most triploid fetuses can be identified by ultrasound. Another limitation is that chromosomal microarray analysis has the potential to identify copy number variants that are of unknown clinical significance. So it's important to work with a geneticist if the report gives an indication of a copy number variant. Next, in patients with a structurally normal fetus who have undergone invasive prenatal diagnostic test, then they can be offered either fetal karyotype or chromosomal microarray analysis because remember, the true value comes when the child has a structural abnormality found on SANO. But if there's no structural abnormality, then it's okay to offer either fetal karyotype or a chromosomal microarray. Next, most genetic mutations identified by microarray chromosomal analysis are not associated with increasing maternal age. So here's a clinical pearl. The use of this test, meaning chromosomal microarray, for prenatal diagnosis should not be restricted to women that are aged 35 years or older, but should be offered to all women who undergo a prenatal diagnostic test. Time for another clinical pearl. In cases of intrauterine fetal demise or stillbirth, when further cytogenetic analysis is desired, chromosomal microarray analysis on fetal tissue, amniotic fluid, or the placenta is the test that's recommended over conventional karyotype. And that's because you don't need the rapidly dividing cells that the conventional karyotype requires for a result. So remember, for a fetal demise or stillbirth, when cytogenetic testing is desired, order chromosomal microarray. Array. Now, here's a question that medical students and residents usually have regarding microarray and sending products of conception in a first trimester loss. Limited data are available on the clinical utility of chromosomal microarray to evaluate first trimester or second trimester pregnancy losses. So, it is not recommended at this time to get chromosomal microarray for genetic evaluation of these early losses. In these cases, conventional karyotype is still recommended. Lastly, chromosomal microarray analysis should not be ordered without having the proper patient-informed consent, and that should be documented in the medical record. And there should be a discussion about the potential to identify findings of uncertain significance, like the copy number variants that we've already discussed. Chromosomal microarray analysis can also find cases of non-paternity, which could be awkward. It could also identify consanguinity and adult-onset disease. All right, we have wrapped up our discussion about prenatal diagnostic tests. We've covered CVS and amniocentesis and have highlighted microarray chromosomal analysis. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.